This is the Shelburne East Center podcast, and we have Dr. Mark Harrow with us again. Uh, he was here with us last week to talk about lateral side knee injuries during uh, multi-ligament knee injury repairs and reconstructions, and we had a nice discussion about that, and uh, Mark joins us again. Mark, thanks for coming back for another uh, another one of our weekly podcasts. Yeah, thanks for having me. The nice topic is going to be another study that Dr. Uh, Haro worked on with Dr. Shelbourne back in 2009. This study was published in the American Journal of Sports Medicine, and the title is Incidents of Subsequent Injury to Either Knee Within Five Years After Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction with Patella Tendon Autograft. So an, an interesting topic, which is always a fun one to discuss, what to do when these patients re-injure, how often it happens, and uh, what can we identify that, uh, that, that may predispose them or uh, make it more likely that they could tear. Yeah, so this is always a great topic, and I think for you know orthopedic surgeons, physical therapists, athletic trainers, really anybody training patients that have an ACL reconstruction, and one of the biggest topics that you know we hear about at meetings or different office conversations is what is the incidence of subsequent injury, mainly to the reconstructed knee, but also to that contralateral knee, and, and what factors lead to that. So uh, I guess right off the bat here, Dr. Haro, what was the rationale to conduct this study looking at incidence rates of re-tears and, and opposite knee tears after ACL surgery? I think that's really what the you know, impetus of the study was, was people coming in and saying, like, what's the likelihood that I'm going to do this again? Or what's the likelihood that I'm going to do it to the other side? And, you know, pretty much every patient has that question. And, you know, we really didn't have good ways to answer it back then. There was a couple smaller studies that were being or starting to look at it that, you know, didn't you know, didn't break down patients as well as we, we were seeing them. And it, it was just kind of all comers coming in and which is really saying, you know, no difference, which wasn't exactly what we were seeing. We were seeing that, you know, maybe, maybe young females were having a little bit higher you know, incidence of tears to the other side. And, you know, so just really wanted to answer some of those questions that would pop up at meetings or whether it was from patients or other therapists. And, and so that was really the, the purpose of that study. Now that leads to the next question is what was the hypothesis for the study and, and did you get that from previous literature or was that something you were questioning after seeing these patients in the office? It was probably after what we were seeing in the office and, and maybe some other papers and what we felt was maybe lacking from other papers. Like, you know, it was a little bit different than what we were seeing. You know, we, we were seeing the differences where everybody was saying there was no differences. We were seeing differences, but in more in subsects of population. So it was it was more to try and break it down a little bit more in detail so we give a little bit better, you know, targeted advice as opposed to a blanket statement. Everybody has the same risk, you know, and to either side, which was really what the literature had shown at that point. So let's jump right into this paper. Uh, tell us a little bit about the methodology behind this paper and uh, how the study was conducted. Yes, yeah, so this was a you know a cohort study where we had kind of you know followed ACL reconstruction patients that you know, had been done at the Shelbourne Knee Center um, for five years and really looking at you know the risk of injury to their their ACL leg or a contralateral leg and whether or not you know certain factors played into it such as their age, um, their activity level, you know when they returned to sports because that was a big question. There was a, a dogma at the time of six months, you know. After six months, you were safer than you were before six months, which was a little bit different. You know, so we really wanted to look at all these factors, whether it was, you know, activity level, age, um, retairs. And, you know, we we definitely, you know, looked at 1,800 patients, right? We had 1,800, we had five-year follow-up on 78% of them. And, you know, that's that's kind of the factors that we were looking at. Yeah, with a large database like Dr. Shelburne's been able to maintain over the last four decades, it's it's really it's really something to be able to do a study like this and not get a hundred people to be able to look yeah. and get you know 
almost 2000 patients right. uh, and, and get, get information on the majority of them is, is really striking. And I think a real strength of this, of this manuscript. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, we had, you know, even, even studies today that, you know, cite this, you know, there'll be big meta-analysis and studies. We're looking at risk of retairs and, you know, big multi-center study groups will have mm-hmm. less than we find from our database. So, you know, some of these papers, this studies 80% of the patients that they have, you know, it's, yeah. it's such a large study and he was able to track them, you know, and still is to track them for quite some time with tremendous amounts of data from physical exams to, you know, subjective questionnaires. That's something I was going to mention. I, I think I might have read that same systematic review and meta-analysis where yeah. they, you read the abstract and you think, wow, those results look really similar. And then you read yeah. deep down and, you know, 80% of the, the patients that they were using were from this paper. Yeah. Yeah. So what were the factors then, Mark, that you looked at uh, with this study with with that large patient cohort? What were the factors you were really looking at to, to try to discern whether there was a difference? There's a lot to take out of this study. It was a pretty big, complicated paper. Just mm-hmm. because there's lots of data that we were looking at. We were looking at, you know, gender. Was there a difference between males and females? We were looking at age, and then if age, what age is? And we broke them down into essentially three groups. Um, you know, the under 18 year old, like high school kids, and then kind of the more college age young adults, the 18 to 25 year olds, and then those of us who had kind of moved on to the, and, and had real jobs and were a little bit busier in the 25 and year older crowd. Um, so we looked at the ages, we looked at the genders, we looked at whether they tore the same leg or the contralateral leg, and then we looked at you know, whether they return to sports less than six months or greater than six months. And then we looked at, you know, activity levels and how these all correlated and to try to figure out, you know, if they were tearing or re-tearing or tearing the other side, you know, what factors were involved. So knowing those are the variables that you were looking at, what were the results that you found? Yeah, you know, like every other study, if you looked at, you know, everybody kind of like all comers, you know, all patients, regardless of age, gender, you know, we were seeing that, you know, they were People are about just as likely to re-tear their, you know, graft as they were to tear the contralateral side. But as we started to break it down, we saw pretty distinct differences when it came to, like, gender. We were seeing that females were twice as likely to tear the contralateral side as they were to tear their, you know, graft again. Where, interestingly enough, guys were, you know, males were about just as likely to re-tear as to tear the other side. We also saw that, you know, age definitely played a role. As you got a little bit older, you probably didn't partake in the same, you know, risky sports you were taking in as you were in a high school kid. And so the the retail rates dropped dramatically with kind of each age group, especially when you got to the over the 25-year-old group. And we also didn't find which you know, a lot of people were, were worried about was that those who went back less than six months, they weren't re-tearing at any higher rates than if they went back after six months. So those are kind of the big take-homes, I think, that we, we found from our study. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to look at those numbers just with all comers. Just to, I yeah. always kind of, when we had this, you know, discussion with people, when people ask about this, I always have that discussion of that 5.3%, 4.3% are numbers that I have committed to memory specifically yeah. from this paper. When people say, what's the chance of me doing this again? It's a 5.3% chance of tearing the opposite ACL, a 4.3% chance of tearing uh, the same ACL. And sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, okay, well, 10%. Okay. Well, 
well, not so fast. Then, right. then, then we have to start thinking about, am I dealing with a male patient or a female patient? Am I dealing with a young patient or an old patient? Am I dealing with somebody who plays no sports, who plays recreational sports, somebody who plays competitive sports? And whether or not it was before or after six months, I think is always an interesting one as well. So those take-home points, one of the main ones was that females had a higher incidence of contralateral tears and a little bit lower incidence of re-tears as opposed to males had more of an uh, about the same risk of retears versus contralateral tears. So a lot of factors at play there. Uh, what was your uh, proposed explanation? What do, what do you postulate is the reason for those for those phenomena? Yeah. So, I mean, everybody was getting the same size graft. You know, everybody was getting a patellar tendon graft, which is a little bit different than some of the other studies where there was ACLs with hamstrings or patellar tendons. You know, we were doing 10 millimeter patellar tendon grafts in everybody. And so, you know, Post-surgery, that was one of the bigger, you know, things that we saw is that, you know, previous studies had shown that females had smaller ACLs than guys. But once we put everybody on the same, you know, level, when everybody had a 10 millimeter graft, what was happening? Well, women were tearing the smaller ACL or guys were tearing either one at equal rates. So it really seemed that size made a difference. You know, the size of the ligament that we were putting in there made a difference. They, they were, we were putting in a bigger ACL in females than they had natively. So then they'd go back to sports at, you know, high levels and had an awkward landing. The you know, contralateral leg was tearing at a higher rate because that had a smaller ACL. And people ask that sometimes, like, is this new graph that you're going to put in there? Is this ACL going to be stronger than my current one? I'm going to be, I'm, it's going to be better than my other one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I always think that's interesting when I hear that about ulnar collateral ligament reconstructions as yeah. well. It's going to make my elbow stronger, yeah. right? I'm going to be able to throw harder with this one, aren't I? Uh, and and <laughs> that's that's a whole other discussion. But yeah. uh, specifically to ACL reconstructions for for females, we could say, yeah, it is it is going to be bigger than the ACL that you had before, uh, and because of that, you're probably more likely to tear your opposite one than you are the same one, whereas males, uh, of course, there's variability associated with that, uh, but a 10 millimeter graft wasn't that much bigger, if at all, than their than their native ACL was, um, If they, especially if they had larger notch that we measured on on plain radiographs, and, and, and I think that that was where Dr. Shelmore started noticing uh, noticing the difference between males and females. Uh, the, the age part of it, of course, plays a big role as well, as you said, in this study that for people under 18 years old, the risk of subsequent injury to either knee was 17%. So when people yeah. hear that 9.6% combined with all comers, then you get to below 18, though it goes up to 17%, 18 to 25-year-old, 7%, over 25 years old, uh, 4%. So there's a wide difference with age. And uh, talk a little bit about what factors are at play there with uh, with the age discrepancy. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's just the the, the year-round high-level sports that kids are doing. You know, when you're the, under the age of 18, it's just, you know, constant, whether it's, you know, summer ball, fall ball, winter ball, you know, spring ball. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And, you know, that, that middle age group is kind of a little bit of in between because especially with his patient population, there was a lot of, like, high-level college athletics in there. But there was also, you know, the, the, the kid that – you know, was playing at the co-rec and, you know, landed awkwardly and tore their ACL as well, but they weren't going back to like D1 football, you know? So I think there's a little bit in that age range, but, you know, universally, unless you're professional athletes, you know, those over the age of 25 were, you know, they had nine to five jobs, mm -hmm. they're weekend warriors and stuff. So the exposure rates definitely, definitely went down. So I think that's one of the bigger reasons why you, know, you see those, those significant differences in the age groups. 
Now, one of the points of this paper that I really thought was fascinating was the fact that you found no difference in injury rates for patients that return before six months and after six months after surgery. And we just had a, a paper published that was looking at contralateral outcomes just a couple of years ago, and our average time to get back to sport was under six months. And you know, taking the patients from this database, a lot of times that is the case, whether we're talking to students at a school or talking to others presenting at national conferences and things, that's usually one thing that shocks people and a, and a hand shoots right up in the audience and says, are you really getting patients back that early? And I confidently answer that as yes. And, and a lot of times I, re I refer to this paper. Can you speak a little bit about that result and, and what you may uh, may think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with rehabilitation. I mean, I think it's just a different philosophy on the on the rehabilitation and more being a sort of criteria based versus time based. I, you know, again, there was this magic six months that you know. I remember when I was a resident, you know, six months, like, okay, now it's time to go back to sports, and you're like, wait a minute, like, what what changed between five months and thirty days to now six months? Magically, I'm cured and. You know, I, I think that, you know, the, the accelerated type rehabilitation where we're really pushing symmetry early, people are getting back to like strengthening more dynamic, you know, activities earlier. Their strength's coming back earlier, their emotions coming back earlier, and they're feeling more normal at that point. And it's almost like hard to slow them down. You know, they, they look normal, you know, and you, we were, I have a hard time trying to convince them. And again, it's probably more for me to convince myself for some reason that I feel like they should go slower, but they're, they're checking all the boxes off early. And it's, you know, I, I you know, once they check those boxes, I don't have a really great explanation for them why they can't go back early. I don't know if that's how you guys are yeah. feeling. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. I just recently looked at that Panther Symposium consensus statement on return to sport, and the, the thought was to get away from time-based. Yet when we yeah. say that our athletes are getting back at a certain time, we, we always get a lot of questions. And yeah. and we, we feel the same way with having everything be criteria-based and returning athletes back to sports and, and really getting away from that time base. Yeah. And again, there's been obviously some papers published by certain individuals that, you know, they're pushing this nine-month uh, – to two year type of philosophy, you know, not return to sports for two years, which is just seems insane. I, I think what's the point of doing these reconstructions for a lot of these kids. And if we're not letting them go back to a year or two years, and then we're automatically taking them from that high risk group and putting them into the low risk group. So are your results any better by delaying this? Or are you just taking away their activity? So I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Some of those other studies that say that you, we have to wait, especially when we yeah. have pretty good data saying that we can push them. And when their knee declares that they're ready, we can let them back. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think a, a lot of the the longer return to play criteria, the time-based criteria, you have to wait until that 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 ligament looks more normal, an MRI scan or whatever, um, that, that leads you to a year return to play or two-year return to play. I think you're taking that 16-year-old athlete and you're making them an 18 or 19-year-old athlete, 17, and you know, you're giving them two years later, and all of a sudden they're into that group that naturally does have a less of a chance of retear. I would also argue that of course that I there's no doubt about it that people are more likely to re-injure their ACL either on the same knee or the opposite knee within the first two years after. After they go back to sport, I don't, I don't, I don't dispute that one bit. My, my contention would be if you restrict somebody for years one and years two, year two after return, then their biggest years that they're going to have a chance to tear their ACL are going to be years three and four. 
If you restrict them for two years, the first two years after they go back are going to be the most likely ones for them to hurt themselves. If you were to restrict them for four years, their most probable time of tearing their ACL would be years five and six. I just think that whenever you get back to playing sports, if you get back at a high level, that's when your exposure is going to be the highest. Your competition is going to be the highest. And because of that, your your uh, tear rates are going to be the highest. Another uh, d- another different way to look at this uh, that isn't looked at in this paper, but it's one that we talk about at Shelbourne East Center quite a lot, is the side that you take the ACL graft from. Uh, and I think that's where when Dr. Shelbourne started looking at these things and started uh, assessing all these factors, that he started noticing some differences and that um, and that, that that he started to see, to maybe think about this in, the, in a different way. In particular, he noticed when he was doing same-side ACL, ACL grafts, ipsilateral ACL, patellotendinary constructions that people were much more likely to tear the opposite knee than they were to tear his reconstruction. And he, like most people, I think that, that do ipsilaterals were, were happy about that, that, well, they're not tearing my graft, they're tearing the other one, which I can't do anything about. So when he started to, because of the rehab advantages that the contralateral potentially has, which you can listen to our, our earlier episodes about that as to, as to that rationale, he started seeing more re-tears as opposed to contralateral knee tears. And I think that was a place where he really stepped back and said, well, you know, is this is the place I'm taking the graft from making it more likely to re-tear? Or are there other factors at play that are making it more likely to re-tear? And that's where he started breaking it down, males versus females, age differences, strength differences, intercondylar notch width, ACL size differences, and and it's come to the to the place we are now where uh, what, what we found, I think, it, when we put all this data together from notch size, from athletic exposure, from age, from gender, uh, from sport, all these together, is that we don't really change anything about the tear rates depending on which which side we take the graph from. The only thing we influence is which side retears. Now, it's not the amount of tears, but does have a little bit of an impact on which side retears. Uh, and we've particularly found high re- high tear rates on the contralateral knee in young females who go back to play high-risk sports like basketball and soccer and have a small notch that have a graph taken from the opposite side or from the same side. So if you do an ipsilateral patellotendinograph ACL reconstruction on a young athlete playing a high-risk sport and they have a small notch on their other side, we found tear rates up to about 20% even uh, for yeah. that opposite knee versus when we started taking the graph from the opposite knee, those started to even out a little more still was more of a propensity for the, for the contralateral knee, but it did, it didn't influence how often one of the two knees tore. It just influenced which knee tore. And, uh, you know, I I know in, in Don's experience, it was, seemingly a much more devastating thing for the athlete to re-tear the same ACL again than it was to tear the opposite one. So just wanted to hear, I did a lot of talking there, but I just want to hear your comments on uh, all those different factors uh, when when we start to take the side that you take the graft from into play. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen that as well too. And I mean, I've talked to Don about that before and he thinks that, you know, the taking the graft obviously from that, the contralateral side almost you know, weakens that one temporarily and during yep. the rehabilitation process is almost a little bit protective of that leg, which is a little bit counterintuitive for a lot of, you know, the current, like, all we care about is quad strengthening, but, you know, a, a strong quadriceps probably can lead to some of this, you know, the, the mechanism of an ACL tear. And if you're a little bit weaker, a little bit more protective of that leg, it probably lowers that incidence and probably, you know, uh, protects that knee a little bit. So, yeah, no, I think taking the graft from a, a, you know, the contralateral side probably does influence the side. But I think, you know, once you get back, you know, it, it, there's still risk. 
So yeah, yeah. Mark, do you do any contralaterals or not? I wasn't. I'm, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I probably do? I probably don't do as many as Don wants me to do, but um, yeah, no, <laughs> I probably say as many as I can talk into the high level athletes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm. I'm I'm on an island out here in South Carolina doing contralateral graphs, but uh, especially in kind of young athletes who are trying to get back in a you know a accelerated rate and in you know have a chance to kind of compete again. I definitely offer the contralateral graph, yeah. uh, and you know they they it, it scares a lot of therapists around town. I don't have necessarily quite in-house physical therapy. Um, I have definitely a group of physical therapists I work with pretty closely, but you know the it scares therapists. They don't know what to do. You know mm-hmm. they don't know you can go fast, and then they really freak out when at three weeks the the athletes like i feel normal can i go back to like to the gym and you're like no um (laughs) you know um it 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 freaks them out because it really breaks up that rehab and i think you can really go pretty fast so i i would do more if i if i could probably talk more into people at around here yeah discussion for another day and uh, we've already done on this on this podcast once already so we won't really rehash that too much we'll point people to our series on contralateral grass to ACL reconstruction but uh interesting part of this debate as we as we as we talk about uh uh incidents of incidents of tears there there seems to be a sport predilection for this as well and of course that matters as well so uh talk a little bit about do you change the discussion that you have with patients based on the sport that they're trying to get back to does that influence your speed of return to play and uh, do you believe that that has an impact on uh, on when you have that discussion with them? You know, Doc, can I, this was really hard. I can't believe I had to go through all this. I'm ready to go back to play. What's the chance this has ha- going to happen again uh, as it relates to sport? Yeah, I mean, the specific sports, you know, I think maybe soccer is maybe a little bit more, you know, difficult. At least I've found to kind of get back to sports at kind of that high rate. And I, I do worry about, you know, soccer players a little bit. But I don't necessarily know if I change a whole lot. I think once the knee is ready, the knee is ready. And I don't I don't necessarily slow them down any particular way. I think if they're checking all my boxes, if I'm going to be objective about this and have my boxes checked, I once they check the boxes, we start put pushing back. So I, I don't know. Are you guys changing sports or like slowing people down for certain sports at all? No, I agree with you there. I, I don't, I, I guess I, w- I wouldn't say I necessarily uh, slow people down. I will be a little bit tighter with the criteria for return to play. If they're yeah. going back to a high risk sport, if I have somebody that's a swimmer and they're, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I know it's an, that's an extreme case of course, yeah. but you know, if I have somebody that's a swimmer and they're, you know, still 30% off on strength and their swim season starts, yeah, it may hurt a little bit more, but yeah, go for it. I think that's going to be okay. If I have somebody that plays softball or baseball that says, you know, I'm, I, I start my senior year in another five months. Do you think it's reasonable for me to get back and play? You know, baseball and softball is not a super high risk re-injury right. uh, sport, uh, especially, you know, if I ask them, they say, oh, I'm, I'm a designated hitter is all, and I play first base and, you know, okay, yeah, we can probably push it pretty quickly versus if they say I'm a middle infielder, I'm a pitcher, and this is my leg that I lead with that I, that I jump out on every time, uh, softball in particular lead leg injuries and softball. I know there's been some, some studies about that, just the the, the difficulty with that, to be honest, that I didn't even know about and had had some, some ones that some experience with those patients struggling a little bit, uh, that, that maybe slowed them down. But, but, but in, in general, I guess I just will, it's another factor that I'll keep in mind when we're talking about 
about re-injury and return to play yeah. specifically with basketball and soccer, because those do yeah. seem to be the highest risk ones that, uh, you know, if somebody wants to get back early, you know, sometimes if they're, you know, they're, they're a 15% side to side difference and, you know, still feeling a little sore, not a hundred percent sure if they can go back, but it's, and it's only been four or five months, but I want to get back and play my senior season. You know what? It probably makes a little more sense for us to make sure you're really symmetric, yeah. take a little more time, get you symmetric to make sure we don't uh, end up with a problem with re-injury versus if they were playing a, a lower risk sport. I had that exact same conversation today, actually a contralateral patient. He's five months out and, you know, he was like, you know, high school quarterback. He was the, the team quarterback last year and also a high level track athlete and probably actually, you know, getting D one offers for track and field. And that's probably his, you know, big sport, but he, he does a little yeah. bit of everything. He also swims for the team and, and that really unbeknownst to me, like, you know, he was feeling so good. He started swimming for the team this fall at like three months. He was back fully swimming at three months, but getting a little bit of swelling at the time. Cause he was pushing back so fast. And I had no idea really. He was actually returned to full competition swimming at three months. And I had a very similar experience <laughs> with a kid wanted to get back to, I can't remember if it was soccer or, or softball, something like that. And, uh, you know, we're working through that. We get to the three month mark, how things been going with sport. Well, she's been swimming. She took up <laughs> swimming this year. Oh, really? Is she swimming for a team? Yeah. She started her season a month ago at the two month mark and she's doing really well. She's been competing. Oh, how about that? That's yeah, interesting information yeah. that I didn't know about. It was, it was but, okay. But you're in the pool. You're not going to tear your ACL swimming. Right. That's you what I told him. He's like, he was really worried about this. And I was like, you know, here he was, he's already qualified for States, you know, as a swimmer. And I was like, yeah, you're probably safe. Just don't yeah. flip on the deck. Um, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> <laughs> other than that, I think swimming's probably fine. No, no running in the pool. That's yeah. the rules anyway. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Very I, good. I think this discussion really illustrates how multifactorial this decision can be because even, yeah. you know, talk about the same sport or different sport. It matters to me what time of year it is. You know, I have football players that want to get back for August and it's yep. April and they say, Hey, can I, I'm a quarterback. Can I play seven on seven? It's four months out of surgery. Sure. Why not? And then they see you back two months later and they're doing great. And they say, yeah. well, oh, by the way, I also play defensive back and I was, you know, playing defense as well. And, you know, then it gets yeah. to the question of who, who clears yeah. who, you know, a lot of times they clear themselves and right. based on how they feel. Yep. Yeah, I think in particular with that's that's something that gets more into art of medicine instead of science when it comes to taking care of athletes. That you know, if it's if it's me, if it's one of us tears our ACL, we'll get back when we get back. Who cares when it happens? You know, we want to get symmetric and normal as quickly as possible, and then progress at whatever whatever speed you want to, but athletes under the gun saying they have a season coming up, you know, sometimes that does affect our surgical decision-making and whether we do a surgery or not and uh, what our timing is and what our return to play looks like and all that. So again, another, another discussion for another day. We've come up with a lot of, a lot of further topics today. So (laughs) Scott's probably scribbling furiously on right, writing down thanks for, for further episodes. So, well, Mark, thanks again for uh, the last uh, two podcasts being here with us and we appreciate your expertise and time. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks again for joining us on the Shelbourne East Center podcast. You can find us on our Facebook page, the Shelbourne East Center podcast Facebook page, or at the SKC podcast on uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on YouTube if you get your podcast there and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please drop a comment or a rating if you like what you've heard so far. Mm-hmm.